You know, we love to have fun here on the podcast as always, but unfortunately today we got some unfortunate news in the football world with Chris Mortensen passing away. I know it's not the best way to start the show, but you know what? Every time stuff like this happens, comes up because of Chris's name and status within the football community, you have to send out your best and respects, even if no one from the Mortensen family were to hear this. It's just something, it's just the right thing to do, you know? Definitely. I mean, as a someone in the field too, it's, you know, I learn from him and I, you know, read and learned and all that. So it's always a very sad day to lose someone so talented. Yeah. Exactly. And I think even if you are, uh, and I've seen this a few times, but even if you are a Patriots fan, you're still upset with them over the whole Deflategate thing. Um, I think it takes a little more uh, class, right? Um, yeah. to, to be the bigger person there. Um, I don't, see the need for the for the grave dancing or the oh well you know a number of 11 out of 12 jokes from that whole report um i would just say uh this is one of those times where we employ the golden rule that if you have nothing nice to say don't say anything at all 100 percent. like even too like i was thinking about this all week because obviously we also have the news monday that peter king retired a legendary reporter as well yeah. and he came on talking about about his reporting with the flake it and i was ready to come on here and honestly just talk about the Morts and stuff, but I just pushed that completely to the side because I knew he was sick for a while, but this all kind of came out of nowhere, just him passing away. And even, I don't know if you guys saw the video from the Combine today, but Daniel Jeremiah's just purely emotional reaction to it all was just shows you how much of a person Chris was to the football industry. Yep. Yeah. 100% agree. So I know we're all Patriots people here and reporter, but I got to talk about Brian Burns to start. The fact that Carolina's come out and said, like, you know what, like, ah, we're good, you know? Like, the fact that, hey, we're not going to extend you long-term. We might franchise you, but we're not going to extend you. And the weird report that came out, apparently the Rams offered them a 2023 second, a 2024, and 25 first for him. And Carolina's basically just going by the wayside and saying, no thanks, we're good. I know New England right now, we have all our stuff, it's just, for a player of this caliber, for a team as mediocre and as bad as Carolina is to say that, it just it's such a weird thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of been Carolina's MO the last five years, yeah. if you ask me. Um, at least five years. It's probably actually been <laughs> six. Ever since Tepper took over, they, they do weird shit um, and continue to do weird shit, and this is among the weirder. Um, I think if you weren't going to extend him, taking that offer two years ago uh, to send him to the Rams made yeah. nothing but sense. Um they didn't take that obviously, and now they have a player. Uh, you know, in the last year of his deal, they may you know, a pending free agent. They may you know place the franchise tag on him, but they you know, cutting off contract talks March you know March third, you know, yeah. a couple of weeks off from free agency, and they're just like, yeah, this is something that bad teams do, and unfortunately, or bad franchises do, and unfortunately, at this point with Tepper at the helm, I would say Carolina firmly fits under under a bad franchise category. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's. You know, you you can look back and say, oh, they should have traded traded him and all that, um, which now is like a slap in the face. But what they're doing just, in my opinion, makes absolutely no sense to have such a, you know, talented player to let go, especially considering how bad that team was last year. Like, they were worse than the 2023 Patriots. That says enough right there. Yep. Um, so you don't want to lose that type of top-tier talent and – but you know what? Burns is about to make a lot of money in free agency, so yep. he can prove him wrong now. That, that's the big thing about this. I just want to say, because there's a, a phrase that I learned, because obviously last Sunday when Sophie and I recorded, the Michael Wendy news just dropped, and 
that came from Mike Florio, and Florio's always coined a term of dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things, and that's basically applied here. Um, I only look at it as weird just because, obviously, it's the caliber of player. If it was anyone different, you know what? You kind of shrug it off is what it is, but the fact that it's just, like we're saying, no thanks, we're fine, passing on a, I don't even want to say generational, but I would say, would, would elite be the right word or just like a tier underneath elite be the right word to describe? I think it's probably just a tier underneath elite. I think he's a superstar player. Yeah. I don't think, you know, he's one of the five best edge rushers in the game. Um, but he, he's the kind of player you you draft and you think, oh, shit, like the next few guys you're going to be hoping, you know, the next few, you know, edge rushers you take, you're hoping, oh, I hope we can get some of what Brian Burns was. And so to have that player and to walk because, you know, you have your tier gross models, you know, on the other side of him just doesn't make any sense to me. A team that lacks pass rush, letting your best pass rusher go, I just don't get it. Like, Derek Brown's been a fine player for them, but he hasn't been what they thought they were getting out of Auburn when he was drafted back in 2020 either. So yep. it's either you're asking him to be that next pillar, but at the same time, too, I look at this situation in the same sense. Obviously, this is going to be very weird because we're going from the bad end of the spectrum to the great end of the spectrum with Kansas City. And obviously, the luxurious knee news that dropped today with they're probably going to franchise him. Because I've been saying this, if you they were to lose him, it's easily replaceable. Corner, I'm not saying he's an easily replaceable player. It's just the position as a whole. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, if they were to let Chris Jones walk, you're, you're not replacing that. It's the same sort of thing where it's just elite talent developed from within. And also, to getting an elite-level nose tackle, those just don't go and grow on trees. you got to get those in the draft, as we've seen in Foxborough as well. So this is a time of year that it's all very interesting. And even, too, now with the scouting combine, we've seen so many good players. And I'll say this today. I've gotten to watch bits and pieces of all the combine, but today I watched a lot of it. I loved watching all the big boys run the 40. It was just something about it, just watching all of them do it. I was just like, yep. And then there's, I'll say this though, there's one player um, that really impressed me that I really liked, and that's uh, Fuwaga out of uh, Oregon State. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, and they were pretty damn fast considering everything. Like, watching them go was awesome. So, I think there's some good talent for tackles in this year's draft. Um, there has to be a priority for the Pats in maybe like a you know third round. They're also, depending on who's available, on a top tier receiver available in that second round when they go, okay, maybe that's one to consider. But the tackle is what they need right now. <laughs> Yeah, there were a couple of injuries that were unfortunate, right? Olu Fashino, uh, the tackle out of Penn State, who is personally my, you know, my top tackle. I know that most people like Joe Alt. I like Olu a little better. Um, he popped the hammy <laughs> running that 40 and that, you know, then didn't get to participate the rest of the day. And that's that's terrible because I, I was really excited to see him. Um, I know he didn't have a great uh great week anyway, like the the kind of reporting coming out about his interviews and 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 things of that nature. Uh sounded like it was at, at best went just fine uh then the papa hammy um where it is he'll be better for his pro day but that was unfortunate because i really want to see him run. i really do think he's a talented player yeah exactly there's a couple of linemen too there's the one kid from wyoming with great flock of hair that i that i liked as well just just you know purely for the hair it's like cody mock last year you know the talent's yeah. there but it's, it may not be like the best talent in the draft but you just want it for the look and the aesthetic but the vibes yes for the exactly but if at pick 30, I think it's 34 or 35 they have in the second round, I want, I would say I would want to go with Kingsley from BYU at tackle. But after yesterday, I'm sorry, but if there's a kid from Georgia there with a contagious smile named Lad McConkey, do not pass on him. I'm saying that as soon as I saw it, I saw him just running those receiver routes. And I, I know Xavier Worthy stole the show with his 4.22, but the way McConkey's just. He won. 
yeah, it, the fact too, he McConkie ran a fast forty, and that was fact too how quick his hands were. I'm just like, you, you can't pass on a player like that if he's right there for the take. Well, I think yeah. Worthy's stock just completely skyrocketed after that. They're yeah. going to see a fast. I mean, I think I saw like a lot of comparisons to Tyreek because of the speed factor. Um, so, I mean, having that on is he, a huge plus, but it's also worth mentioning that there were other guys who ran a very fast, just not as fast 40, who could now fall a little bit because of this. That it's, yeah. you know, the Patriots like those guys. I And I, I, I honestly do too. I think, you know, this year with a the quarterback, they have to go for the big name. And I think... I'm hopeful that will work out, but when it comes to receivers and all that, I mean, I think of Julian Edelman, like Demario Douglas, like I almost hold them in the same group right now. Obviously, you know, Demario Douglas isn't doing anything close to Edelman, but it was just his rookie year and he already did so much. I think he has so much potential. And I think some of these later round guys want to prove it more because they were a later round guy and they have so they, they don't have as much to lose maybe, but they have so much more to prove. And I think that totally shows on the field production. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited of, uh, about what the what, you know, receivers did yesterday. Obviously, um, Patriots need an infusion of talent and uh, youth mm-hmm. at that position. But I guess not necessarily youth because they have a fairly good crop of young players. Um, they're just not uber talented. So they could use an infusion of talent in that department. So you see someone like Lad McConkey, you know, he – Ran a good 40. He's obviously been a very good route runner over at Georgia. So he helped himself a bunch. Xavier Worthy, obviously, 422 is going to get him drafted in the first round. And people will tell you, oh, no, he's not a first rounder. And I would agree from like the tape perspective, right? He has like day two tape, but 422 is 422. So, so he's yeah. going, he's going top 20. And that's just what's going to have to happen. Another player I think really helped himself was Roman Wilson. Ran a really good 40. Yes. Um, he's, He's another one he needs to kind of work on his route running, but I think he's someone who will go a little higher than we expect, right? Think someone like Marvin Mims last year. You know, he went at the back end of the second half to Denver, uh, back end of the second round to Denver. Most people kind of had expected him late third, early fourth, um, and he went a little earlier based on running his really good 40, and he was a really good returner for them. Um, I think Roman Wilson can kind of have that same kind of – can land in that same kind of situation where – you weren't really sure he was going to go, you know, day two or day three and, you know, ran his 40. I think he ran 439, which is obviously fast as fuck. Uh, it just <laughs> just so happens it's only the fifth fastest because everyone ran fast as fuck. So um, I, I'm, I'm excited. I, I really like I really like what we've seen out of the receivers, even some of the guys who I'm not super high on, like, you know, Xavier Leggett right out of uh, South Carolina. He ran he ran sub four four as well or. Or just over four four, um, and he's not someone I expected to run run fast at all, right? Because he's not, he doesn't show up as like a fast player on tape, and you're just like, what the hell does that? How the hell he run that fast? Like, how did that happen? Uh, and that's just what's playing through my mind the whole time. But um, going back to Xavier Worthy, I think he's very much like John Ross in the fact that like that speed will get him drafted a little higher than he should go, and that's totally fine. I think he's a good playmaker in terms of like, you know, getting him the ball and letting him create. Um, I know he's only 165 pounds, and I know that's that's worrying for a lot of people. But I think we're kind of starting to see a little bit of a shift, right, um, away from teams being afraid of these slider receivers, right? Patriots obviously have their own, and Tallreek, uh, and Tallreek uh, Thornton, right, Tyquan Thornton. Um, he's he's slight of build. Uh, Devontae Smith, a separate 
kind of situation because obviously he's a phenomenal player and was a phenomenal player with the production to match it in Alabama, but he's a slider receiver as well. And people were concerned that he wouldn't be able to make it happen and a little under the radar, but a player like Tutu Atwell, who was drafted a couple years ago by the Rams really came on this year and he's a slight player. He's also short, right? I think he's only like five, eight um, and he's light, but we're starting to see that that speed kills, right? You get them the ball and let them create. Um, So I know that everyone wants like these, big size speed, you know, size speed kind of guys. And I agree, right? I agree. You can go out and go, go out and go get one. But I think some of these slider receivers are going to have to, we're going to have to like kind of recheck the tape on some of these slider receivers. Cause they're doing a little more <laughs> than everyone kind of expected. There's also a couple players that I don't, I don't want to say impressed, but I think kind of solidified where they're going to go once Brian Thomas from LSU as well. Oh, yeah. um, but one player who I think had a really good weekend when it came to everything is for probably day two or day three, but Joe Milton yesterday just dropping dimes. And then I think Michael Penix Jr. did a lot because, look, after the Sugar Bowl, everyone was super, super high on him. And then he had the bad game in the national championship where he was playing a little banged up and everyone was just like, oh, look at him. He's not this. He's not going to be this. There's going to be a team probably in the 20s or even if it gets down to the 30s in that Lamar Jackson situation, I think that's going to go scoop him up. And even... I don't. I, I, I haven't been that big on him just because I, I want to see the body of work. But even the guy like JJ McCarthy too has kind of gone out there. And even I listen to a lot of like the when they were doing media rounds. Like, and I feel like that's yeah. a very important piece too. And one player from that, and also who's very good, and I would love to have him if this was a position of need. But obviously, the Patriots have higher positions of need. And McCarvin's going to love me for this. I think one of the best draft picks from this year's draft could potentially be a non-quarterback, Dallas Turner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Bama. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Uh, I know some people are a little less high on him. They think he just kind of gets by on athleticism. He's not, you know, not a technical player. I think those people just aren't watching well enough. He's he's going to be a star in the league. And that's absolutely the case. I think um, it's interesting that you brought up Michael Penix as a as a potential first rounder, because I think people need to get comfortable with the idea that there are going to be four four quarterbacks taken in the top 10. I'm like yeah. absolutely certain about that. I've been yeah. saying since the beginning that I think three go in a row, right? I think um, Caleb Williams, Drake Maine, and um, Jan Daniels go one, two, and three in that order. Um, but I think the whole J.J. McCartney JJ McCarthy thing is um, interesting because people will tell you, oh, he ran, you know, he was in a in a run first offense and he's just kind of getting carried because his team won the national championship and he's really not that good. Um, that's great. I, I hear you and I understand your concerns. However, everything we've heard from the minute the season ended was NFL teams like him more than everyone else. Hey, NFL teams like him, NFL teams like him. Um, and so from there, I was very quickly like, yeah, he's probably going to be a first-round pick. He's 20 years old. He's uber, you know, uber talented in terms of arm. He's just has inconsistent mechanically. Yes, and he has the look. He's someone who's going to go. He's going to go earlier than expected. He's going to go top 10, um, and people just kind of get got to get comfortable with that. After the combine, though, I think my new take is not only will four go in the top 10, I think five go on day one. Um, I'm just not sure who that fifth is. I think it should be Michael Penix. I think he's a very good player. Um, I know that he's a little older. He'll be you know, 24 when the season starts, which is fine, right? I know people are people are talking about him like he's 20, 28 right now, but he's, he's 23. He'll be 24 when the season starts. It's fine. And the injuries. I know the injuries are a big thing. And if those check out, I think he absolutely should be the fifth quarterback taken in that first round. But I also think Bo Nix could potentially go um, in the first round. I wouldn't do it, but he's another one where all the reporting we've heard is, hey, NFL teams like him a little more than everyone else. 
Um, and those kind of guys get taken 30th, 31st, 32nd, even as high as like 28th. You know what I mean? Like these are the kind of guys that kind of teams will trade up from the second to get if they couldn't get the guy they wanted in the first. The thing with so. JJ McCarthy too that I really that that really impressed me was just his sheer like want to learn. I mean, he went and I don't think it's gotten enough, you know, attention in the media. It was like kind of just written about in a few tweets, but what was it every single interview he went into? He had researched the teams that he was going into. He knew everything to ask. He knew the you know, the Patriots had so much turnover this year and the coaching staff and he went in knowing like you know what he needed to know about that he knew about the history they said he was so well prepared for everything and what I really like about that is I think of like you know a guy like Tom Brady or something like that with so much football knowledge and it kind of reminds me of, a, of what J.J. McCarthy did where it's going in and this constant want to learn and grow and just know what he can about the game of football from all these people, I mean, I think he was still, like, asking questions about the game, things like that. So I get why teams are high on J.J. McCarthy because I think that right there says a lot. I mean, yes, we know he can throw. We know he has, you know, we know he has football skills. But I think that's a huge part of the game that people kind of discount as fans looking at, you know, inside or looking from the outside in. is like, okay, well, like, you know, his team carried him. That's that. But you don't know how he did in the interview. You weren't sitting in there. You didn't see what the teams thought of him. Uh-uh. That's a huge part, too, because they want a guy who they know they can help develop. And if a guy's going in there um, saying, like, you know, I know I'm the best. I know I, sh- I should be the best. Or I know, like, I should go at this point. Then I, 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 don't, I, I don't think those are the guys that at least a team like the Patriots who prided themselves on this, like, team first mentality should be going for. So the two of you mean to tell me that NFL executives are smarter than people we see on Twitter every day. Is that the vibe I'm getting here? Because that's what I feel like is going on. <laughs> that's what I've learned. That's what yes. I've learned over time. <laughs> it's close, but I, I think they're a little smarter. <laughs> I get the passion. I do. But it's, you know, like there's so much that happens behind the scenes that people don't realize happens behind the scenes. Yeah. And you know, it's the same way, like, I've, I've seen it on social media, like, everyone's given up on Mac Jones. Um, and this is just an example for me. I think he is still a great quarterback. I think the Patriots aren't the right fit for him. I think it's, you know, just a completely broken relationship. And I actually said to him in the locker room last year, I was like, at the, like I think it was the last game, I was like, I can't wait to see you just go out there and tear it up, wherever it is. Because I think he has potential. It's going to break my heart when that happens because I was very high on Mac from when he did his awkward walk to the podium in Cleveland three years ago. So when when that happens, I'm going to be like that TikTok sound that's just like, go little rock star. That's going to be me <laughs> when Mac's like, you know, performing well in Orange Crush in Mile High in Denver. I just say that because that's like I said, I think it may have been McGarvin or someone else I said it to, but I can see like him or Tannehill going to Denver because, you know, Peyton's yeah. probably going to want a reclamation project as opposed to a new quarterback because think about it, if he can get a genuine pocket passer that's more his guy like a drew Brees style player and i'm comparing i'm not comparing Tannehill and mac to Brees, but it's the same sort of thing um the one thing i'll say about bo Nix is i know a lot of people are still in that like oh he's gonna be a mitch trubisky or he's gonna be a sam Darnold. i know this team drafted a quarterback last year but could you see a team like detroit even taking a flyer on bo Nix? you know kind of go in there have that like backup role especially now that teddy bridgewater retired like, you know, just maybe go learn. And then if it doesn't work out, hey, he's going to shift off to another team in two to three years. 
I don't know if they do it, but I could see it um, just because I, I don't think they have a ton of needs. Um, so he's the kind of player that you could take and just kind of stash. You're like, oh, I, you know, there's no pressing needs. I know their defense needs to get better and needs to get better in a hurry. Um, but I don't necessarily liners. know that they're going to just be able to, you know, fix that in one go on, you know, in, with one draft pick first round. Right. And we saw that last year they took Jack Campbell in the first round and, I really didn't work out. Um, so I can see them kind of just taking a flyer on a guy and then thinking, hey, we'll just kind of rebuild the defense a little slower because I think they need way more help than um, people care to realize. That entire front seven kind of just needs to be reworked. I know they have Aiden Hutchinson. He's really good. And um, they have uh, McNeil, um, yes. their, their nose tackle. He's phenomenal. Um, but really, the the other end opposite Aiden Hutchinson doesn't move me. They've been rotating between Julian Aquara and Romeo Aquara. And I know, I believe Julian was waived um, at some point this past year. I don't really see it there. The rest um their, their linebackers just don't move me in any way. And even their secondary, I really like, um, I like their safeties, but their corners just, man, I know Cam Sutton was supposed to have a great year and he simply did not. Um, and as a result that I just, I, I think that defense needs a lot of help. They they do because I look on that team and you know how usually you use the term. Does your defense have uh, you need, uh, for a good NFL defense to be successful? You need a group of bad motherfuckers. You know mm-hmm. you need that group. Aiden Hutchinson's the only one. It's kind of yeah. like with Vegas how Max Crosby, who ever since he started interviewing, I did not realize how hard of a worker that man is. That he literally mm-hmm. is a three sixty five day a year. And even to, like, just learning about him with his sobriety and everything like that. Like, he'll be on vacation or he'll be doing media stuff. And, like, he'll have the hotel, like, call and get meals sent for him. So, when you see people with that work ethic, it just – hopefully the team can help build around it. Because with Detroit, look, being up the way you were in the playoffs this year and letting it just slip through your fingers, I know it was disappointing for the fans. But, like, the, I'm going to say this right now. That easily could be one of the most competitive divisions of football next year if all the teams play their cards right. I agree. Yeah. I think I'm not here to say all four teams are going to be dominant. It's going to be like what the 2022 AFC West hype is, but no, no, no team in that division is going to be a pushover. There's not going to be an easy victory coming out of that division. Yeah. No, that's the best type. I mean, I think like, obviously, listen, I know football, but I know Patriots stuff the best. Like I think of like that rivalry towards the end when like Buffalo was really good too. Um, And it was always like the pass first. And even like when Miami was on the up and up, you know, Things like that where it wasn't always a guaranteed win against these AFC East teams like it might have been earlier on. Um, th- that's the best type of football. I mean, listen, as fans, you're like, you want to go in and crush them. But just from, like, someone who loves football, tuning into a game that's like, you know, 50 to nothing isn't fun to watch. You're like, okay, this is what's going to happen. If you tune into a game that's like 21-24, you're like, ooh, <laughs> yeah. now we got a game. <laughs> It's like those games you don't expect to be good that like aren't good, but then it's like, but then there's games like, for example, the Patriots Steeler game on Thursday Night Football. Everyone's like, this game's gonna suck. No one's gonna happen. And then everyone remembered, oh yeah, Bailey Zappi turns into Joe Montana when he's playing the AFC North. So that just <laughs> happens there. And then the next week we got the Chargers. You better, you better put that on a T-shirt. Oh, Joe Montana. You got to copyright that right now. Yeah, Joe Montana versus the AFC, uh, the AFC North. He did it last year in Cleveland. He did it this year in Pittsburgh. Who knows? Next year I'll do it in Cincinnati. We don't know yet. Um, like it's true. It's true. But moving on to the Patriots, obviously so there's two weird things in this. One, J.C. Jackson gets cut. The other, I saw a J.C. Jackson poster in an Adidas story yesterday. I didn't realize he was an Adidas athlete. It was Patrick Mahomes and him. And I'm like, very interesting contrast in athletes there. 
But with the hundred million dollars now, I am ready for like ten days from now for a big chunk of the fan base to be disappointed when they don't like get a big name wide receiver and like because I already have a player in mind who I want for this team, and there's already a player with his same name in this division already. But putting Josh Allen onto that defensive line. Oh yeah, 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 that would be. I got once you said the same name, I got it immediately. Because yeah, I, was not, I, I didn't. I was like, "What's happening?" <laughs> <laughs> because because we figured the other Josh Uche is probably on his way out. Just like mm-hmm. that's the same thing. Send him to a team, and I know when he goes to a team and he basically pass rushes the entire time. All the fans are like, "Why do we let him walk?" It's like it's not that you let him walk. It's just the Patriots didn't use him right because in run defense he wasn't the best, but in pass protection, in pass defense, Josh Josh Uche was just hey. Go hit the quarterback, and that's what he did. So if you have a line of Judon, you put Wise in there, you add Allen. I think Keon White's due for a breakout year in 2024. And then you get the nose tackles up the middle. You're letting DeMarcus Covenant and cook with gasoline, and I kind of like that. Yeah, I think I think this defense is something like don't mess with it too much. Just bring in like those little holes you need to fix. But like we saw a top-tier defense in this league last year. I mean, this defense. Think about how much the – I mean, I know the Patriots record was, like, not good. But think about how close some of those games were. Yeah. I know. But, like, yeah. there were a lot – besides those three major, you know, blowouts. Like, there were some games that were really close that should not have been really close. Yeah. Or because of the defense. Defense did their job almost every week. And it was just the offense that was struggling. So, I think, you know, you have Jordan Mayo, who was – basically along with Steve Belichick leading this defense last year. He's now leading everything. DeMarcus Covington moving in, who everyone has said is this rising coach who's going to, you know, has such high expectations. That's a recipe for success. So just fill in those holes that need to be, but don't mess with it too much. Just kind of grow it. It's kind of like when something's broken. Don't take the entire thing apart. Just figure out what's broken and then fix it properly. Even if it's like a duct, like, I don't like want to say duct tape fix, but, you know, like when it's like, Oh, hey, this bike's broken. Let's not disassemble the entire bike. Maybe, hey, maybe the chain just came off. So just put the chain back on the loop. Um, one thing with they the coaching can, staff. They can, too, I will say, they can disassemble the entire offense. I'm okay with that. Oh, I, that I one think. Should, that's like Lego pieces that need to come apart. I think anyone who lives in the state of Massachusetts, Vermont, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, um, or even me who lives in Canada, is completely fine with that. And Because with, <laughs> with offense, too, I read into those whatever they're saying with Baker Mayfield, but then it's like, oh, hey, it sounds good, but then it's giving him what the money Daniel Jones earns, and I'm kind of like, I don't know if I want to give him that. That's the only thing with that, because if everyone going out there, he may not be worth it, but because of the bump in salary, players are going to be asking for it. I think we're going to see... Do you remember, guys, 2016 NBA free agency, how there were some dumb contracts handed out? Yep. There's going to be some dumb contracts, and we look back in two to three years and go, hey, you should not have gotten that money, but you did anyway, so good on you. We already say that with Daniel Jones. The yeah, they, were, they were in such a tough spot. Uh, the Baker thing is so interesting as well because I'm like, what What do you do with him? I know you should keep him, right? If you're Tampa, you yeah. you kind of have to. You're, you're, you're in that situation. But what do you pay him? You can't pay him $40 million. I think that that's just wildly irresponsible for a player. You know, I know he's had good play in the past, but he had his best year this past year. Right. Yeah. And that's what Dave Canales, who is now that, you know, the coach down in um, uh, Carolina. Right. Um, Poverty Carolina. And it's, it's interesting because the year prior, prior to, you know, going down 
to you know to Tampa Bay, Canales was with you know Geno Smith in Seattle, and he had just had his best year of his career. Um, so I, I think it's fair to wonder, hey, is it is it you know these guys just taking a late leap, or are they being put in extremely you know advantageous situations by their offensive coordinator? Um, and would oh. removing them from that situation give you what you had before? Like I'm, what I'm concerned about is. We saw what, what Baker did. We're going to go ahead and give Baker $38 million to come quarterback the New England Patriots while we get Drake May slash Jaden Daniels slash, you know, whoever ready to play. Yep. And then we you're paying him $38 million and he becomes, you know, the guy who got cut from Cleveland, Carolina and, you know, and LA in like 16 months. You know what I mean? Like that, that's my, that's my fear with a player like Baker. Um, and also the situations are different. I think, People kind of forget um, because everyone stopped carrying the minute Tom retired, but people kind of forget that that offense in Tampa Bay is uber talented, right? There are guys out there who are like, yeah, like you know, you have you have Goodwin, you know, Godwin, pardon, you have uh, Chris Godwin over there. Mike Evans was over there. Um, Kate Otten's not really a star, but he's a pretty good player. You know, uh, Rashad White. It's like these guys that you're like, okay, cool. And obviously their offensive line, Tristan Wirfs is playing really well. They have a really good offensive line. So they were kind of set up for him to come down and, and, you know, play well. What happens if you bring him here and you go from throwing to, you know, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans to Taekwon Thornton and, you know, Kayshawn Hootie? Like, what, what does that look like? You just and that's my concern. Like, that was exactly what I was going to throw in there. It was just like, if you take out the Mike Evans and the Chris Godwins and like, if you take out them from the equation, what is Baker, is Baker going to have the same season he had with Tampa Bay? Right. Um, so I I I, tef- I definitely agree. I think fans are very high on the possibility, um, but I just don't know if it's the right move for the Patriots. I get why they think it could be, but the one I think would actually be a great idea to bring in is Jacoby Brissett. Correct. That's yes. I'm with you. I'm with you I'm right there. Very high on Jacoby Brissett. I think bring him in to help with, you know, help with the rookie quarterback and help him develop. Where it could be someone that you know, if, if by week one. Drake Mayer, Jaden Daniels isn't quite ready to step into that limelight. Okay, you have a really solid candidate to lead that team in week one, week two. But as the season goes on, maybe that switches out. It's it's a veteran to help him develop and put a vet in that room who also knows the Patriots. Yeah. I think we all forget that. It's someone who Baker's coming in, learning this offense, comp- you know, learning the coaching staff, all this. Well, it's very different from when Jacoby was here. At least there's the familiarity of Foxborough for him. Right, and he's played in Andrew Van Pelt's offense, yeah. you know, prior. I think it's um, Alex, and, and sorry, Alex. Um, I, I think it's um, it's important to remember though, like if you're just bringing in a guy who's going to be like a mentor, you you want to bring in a guy who already knows the offense. I think it, it's it'd be strange if you're bringing in someone like Baker Mayfield to you know kind of be the bridge quarterback as you get your rookie ready, but both of the guys are learning their both of the guys are learning the offense for the first time. Right. I think it's a little different if you already have a guy who's established there, because otherwise, what do you what is what is he mentoring? Right. If he's supposed to be a bridge QB, who's supposed to sit there and mentor the rookie, but he doesn't know the offense himself. What is he mentoring? I don't I don't really I don't really get that. So uh, I know people love Baker. I know he's an exciting kind of person, um, polarizing, but exciting, like people who like him really, really like him and people who don't just really don't. Um, so there are people who are like, oh, yes, bring in Baker. Let's get this thing rolling. It's six all the way. I'm more, hey, bring me 
a nice saucy Jacoby Brissett. <laughs> I love you know, that. You got to bring back one third of the Wolf Pack at least, because two thirds of the Wolf Pack technically are back in Foxborough. Um, there was a video though I want to play right now. It's about a minute and a minute eighteen long of a video. Basically, it's a podcast that I found through TikTok, basically explaining why the Patriots shouldn't or why they, them drafting a quarterback would be irresponsible. I just want to play it and then we can talk about it. That's cool. Sure. I want to say this about the Patriots. If the Patriots end up drafting a quarterback at number three, it would be one of the more irresponsible decisions that I've seen them make. Mm. Number one, Jaden Daniels is not a top three quarterback prospect. That's number one where you go wrong, especially if you're going to take on a pass up on somebody like Marvin Harrison oh, Jr. Yeah. It's irresponsible. This is what they have to work with. Devontae Parker, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kendrick Bourne, Tyquan Thornton, Jalen Rager, Demario Douglas. This past season, Juju and Devontae Parker were bottom 10 and getting open amongst all receivers. No one's Including tight end. Ramondre Stevenson is solid, but he doesn't have an offensive line in front of him. Their offensive line is not good. This is not a situation where you can just plop in a quarterback and your issues get solved. The Patriots rebuild to me is a multi-year rebuild and trying to make and create an offensive infrastructure that is great for a rookie quarterback. If they draft Jaden Daniels here, I think it would be irresponsible, and mm. they would set him up for failure. I think Marvin's the easy home run pick. You don't think twice about it. You get the best available player at number three. It's a home run selection, but again, understanding that quarterback is definitely a necessity. If you're the Patriots and you think, hey, Jaden's our guy at number three, then hey, I can't be too upset at it, but at the same time, take the safe player. So, Mike, as we, for some reason, you guys are much smaller than me. Uh, I'm much bigger than you. There we go. Now we're all the same size. Um, so my big thing with that is more or less the multi-year rebuild thing, because I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I from jump have never said, yeah, this team's going to be a team that I jump to be back into contention, because I feel like what Houston did really ruined the multi-year rebuild for a lot of teams. But with New England... I just expect them to maybe win a couple games they weren't supposed to win this year. And then next year's that year where you look at it, hey, be in the graphic, in the hunt graphic, more towards the end of the year. You know, that's how I view it. I just wanted to see what you guys thought. Yeah, it's, it's um man, it that, that, that bothered me. Um, it's one of those things that uh, every year feels like there's something that gets said early on um, in the offseason, right? Like, really really early on and everyone just kind of sticks with it they're like oh yes that is that is the one truth of the of, of the nfl right now this is the one thing and they kind of parrot it um and i feel like this year um especially with regards to the patriots it was said really early on that like hey you have to build like a team around and then get your rookie quarterback and everyone's like yes that is the way to do it um and i just it bugs the shit out of me because who has done that Right. Like what team are we are we pointing to? Like, yes, that is the blueprint. We must do it that way, um, because I just I don't I don't see teams that that do that. Right. Where they're like, hey, I have the opportunity for the quarterback. Let's pass him up and, and go that way. And some of the examples that get brought up when when you do have these conversations, people are like, well, Kansas City. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not really how Kansas City operated. They were already a playoff team. Right. They were already they just kind of upgraded the quarterback. That's a little different than like, hey, we have no quarterback and we're just going to build all these great players around and then go out and get a quarterback. All the, all the teams that we've seen kind of do the rebuild have started with, Hey, we're going to go get our quarterback. Eh, we'll kind of figure everything else out, out, out along the way. Um, look, at the look at the Bengals. Exactly. Right. That, that's, that's my favorite one. Everyone's like, well, you know, that's different. Cause Joe Burrow is so special. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's sure. But like, they went out and got the quarterback. Everyone said they shouldn't have, they went out and got the receiver. Everyone said they shouldn't have, and they went out and, 
you know, then they were in the Super Bowl three years later or two years later. I just, I don't know where this idea is coming from that the only way to build a team is to like load up, up load up your roster and then stick a guy in because we haven't seen that happen. Even teams like San Francisco, which is another one where people are like, well, San Francisco did it. They didn't, right? They went out and got their quarterback. He just so happened to suck, right? They they went out, they traded up for Trey Lance. He couldn't play. And so it wasn't like, oh, you know, they, they passed on the quarterback and then built the roster and then went out and got Brock Purdy. And that's how, you know, that's how they built it. it was, they went out and got the quarterback and then built the roster. The quarterback sucked and they replaced him. It's it's blowing my mind right now for a team that has no quarterback, right? And, and it's not just like, hey, you know, they don't have a good, like they just don't have a quarterback. They don't have someone that you, you can trust to bring out there and, hey, we're going to start this guy and you can feel confident in it. Even if you still believe in Mac Jones, even if you're still like, hey, I think Mac can do it, you have to acknowledge like, hey, Maybe not here, right? You could, Matt could be a great player in Minnesota. He could be a great player in New Orleans. Uh, I don't think it's going to be here because we we saw towards the end of last year, we saw the reports come out like, hey, locker rooms kind of split on Mac. Even so much after, you know, after Bill was fired or mutually parted ways and Gerard Mayo took over and he was at the, you know, and Mac Jones was at the press conference. There was word that came out right after that, like, oh, players in the locker room were split on Mac's presence there. And it's like, Holy shit, if we're having this conversation, right, within the locker room, like, hey, the locker room is split on whether or not Max should be around, and the fan base is obviously very split on it, it doesn't make sense to be like, hey, we won't take a quarterback, we'll just roll with Mac, knowing like, hey, it's probably in his best interest and your best interest to kind of move on. That leaves you with Nathan O'Rourke, who was just resigned, um, and Bailey Zappi. Let's be for real. You know what I mean? So get your quarterback and then build your team. It's it it's just blowing my mind that everyone's just like, hey, you have to build the sick roster. Because I think of a team like Atlanta, right? They built a sick offense. They have no pilot. And so, therefore, they are picking eighth in the draft for the third consecutive year. They have no quarterback. So, you can you can tell me, hey, just build around, build around, build around to take a quarterback in later. But they started doing that four years ago uh, and still have no quarterback, right? <laughs> but now they're in the conversation of, hey, are they going to trade up for someone? Or are they going to take J.J. McCarthy and kind of figure it out from there? But we've seen that approach not work uh, and everyone's just swearing like, Hey, this is the only way to build a roster. And it just, it just blows my mind. Also that guy said, Jaden Daniels is not a top three quarterback prospect. He, he has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. You may not like him, but to say, Hey, there are, there, there are at least, there's at least one, uh, you know, there are at least three guys better than him is, <laughs> is fucking asinine. Like let's be so for real. No, yeah, number five I mean, is open too. Yeah, I mean, I so I'll be honest, my video or like the audio for that was not working at all. So I'm just going off of what you guys are saying. I'll send it to you later, Sophie. Sounds good. But I, I gotta agree with McGarvin on this one. Um, I think you take the quarterback that's available. I mean, Jaden Daniels has proven it, that he's a top quarterback. I disagree that he's not a top three as well. I think that's a very bad comment. But what I love about Jaden Daniels as a prospect for the Patriots is he's so different than what they're used to. They went they had Tom for 20 years, who was a great pocket passer. And what I'm, I'm thinking back to the dynasty episode that we're going to talk where Matt Castle's like, well, if I had one thing on Brady, it's that I could run. Cause that guy couldn't run, <laughs> which was true. He was a great pocket passer, but we, you know, you see him run. You're like, Oh boy. Oh, Oh Tom, what you doing? <laughs> um, but and then with Matt Jones, it felt like it was a similar thing. They tried the difference with Cam Newton, but that didn't really work that one year. I kind of like, don't even count that fully as like a, trying something new because it just didn't work the way they wanted to. So looking for like a franchise quarterback, it's from Brady to Mac. That was their, their, you know, change. And they went for the same type of quarterback, a great pocket passer and all that. Jaden is a good passer. We know that he's not the top of the 
list, but he can run. And that is what I'm so excited to see is a mobile quarterback in New England because I think that is what this what could separate this offense from everyone saying, well, you know, when they won the six Super Bowls, this is what they did. No, we're past that time. It is not Tom's team. It's not Bill's team anymore. We have a whole new team in here with a quarterback that has a skill that we haven't seen in New England in 24, 25 ever, really. Let's be yeah. real. <laughs> Let's be real. For sure, for sure. Drew yeah. could run, but I don't think we're talking to Jaden Daniels level run. No, the only the only quarterback in New England in the last twenty years that could run just fought off three different men who thought it'd be a fun idea. Hey, let's go after a six foot six quarterback. Um, which Sophie and I, I messaged after we recorded last week saying we should talk to this more. We didn't know much. Now we realize like, hey, those guys are just trying to do it for clout, and they ultimately backfired on them. Um, because I want to give the Cam example too. Because that twenty twenty team, I still say this: that team should not have won seven games. That no, team was a very bad team. That was a very bad team. Like. There's two games from that year I look at where I'm like, you should not have won those. One of them is the Arizona Cardinal game. Yep. Yeah. But that was also, I as soon as Isaiah Simmons committed the roughing the passer, I was just like, we're winning. Um, and the other game, not so much the how they, the fact that they won it, but it was the 45 nothing drubbing of the Chargers. Like, yeah. that was just, like, that, also, here's another one too, Baltimore. Baltimore, Baltimore game, yeah, where it just yeah. it just rained on all of their off- offensive drives, and it was dry yeah. shit at the other side. I was like, what, what happened? It was a complete monsoon, though, for that one, too. It's not just like, oh, yeah. it's a little rainstorm here. But, like, that was Mother Nature just being like, nah, not today, guys. <laughs> yeah. But even still, like how Seattle, for example, they almost won. The Buffalo, there's one game in Buffalo, they almost won. Kansas City, they hung it tough with until the second half. Bill really kept Patrick Holmes in line. The only game, the game I looked on that year where I was like, yeah, they were really bad was the second Buffalo game and then the San Francisco game when they just got fed their lunch for 60 yeah. minutes. Yep. So that's what I'm saying. If this team is like 2020 where, look, in the sense of the quarterback can bail you out instead of throwing the most confident interceptions in the world, hey, maybe they scramble for five or six yards and get the first down. And McGarvin knows what I'm talking about because of Bailey Zappi. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just how I view the whole Jane Daniels thing. Like for me, if Unless Washington wants to go rogue and take him, I feel like if he's there, you're taking it, and we're going to get a million smoke screens within the next seven weeks. That's pretty much what's just, just going to happen. Hey, Jaden Daniels in Foxborough with Bailey Zappi. I mean, Bailey had that one rushing touchdown. I'm excited to see what more Bailey can learn from that. You know, <laughs> We're going to get a second one coming up. Bailey Zappi's just going to be like, I, I can play too. And it's just like, no, 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 Bailey, 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 Bailey. Just sit. Just sit down. Hold the clipboard. Yes. Um, but like you alluded to, Sophie, obviously we're here because, look, the dynasty's been going on. Episodes five and six have come out. I feel like, too, McGarvin, we talked about this last week, but you know how with the Swamp Kings documentary, everyone wanted this, like, the whole truth. Like, we're going to learn so much about the Florida Gators, and it turned out yep. to be a fluff piece. Yep. The people are still mad about this one, and it's the complete opposite, where it's, hey, guys, you're getting the whole truth, but you're pissed off about it. I understand, look, skipping over the two Super Bowls, was whatever, and everyone's saying skipping over like 20, 2010 and uh, the 2011 seasons is what it is. But there was two things I will say. Well, one, it was very nice and surprising to see Brandon Lloyd in this documentary. I did not expect that. Yeah, yeah. that was um, nice. The other one, and I'll say this before we go into any other detail, but the way that Robert Kraft ended episode six, I loved it. Just, you know, just apologizing for everything. And like, it was just like, it was one of those things where it's like nothing else had to be said. I, I give him a lot of respect for that because some, you know, what he, what he said throughout the whole documentary, 
or not throughout that whole episode it was really telling and it just shows how much like robert croft does for his team i mean i know obviously like this year it was different he got like what like on that nflpa survey he got like the d but i just think during that time i mean he truly was like there for his players but ending his ending that episode the way he did by like apologizing because people lost their like someone lost their people actually it's not just the one person lost their lives because of this guy and it you know it destroyed families it's all that i had so much i got i had a whole new level of respect for robert Kraft seeing that happen um and seeing the way he just handled that episode i had i thought i thought it was a it was very well done given the circumstance even jonathan Kraft too basically saying like oh hey no let's stick away no it's like no get this guy off the team right away like i i know jonathan's been under a lot of scrutiny lately just because everyone thinks it's like oh he's pulling the show and like you know it's gonna be his team eventually which you know what one day one day it probably will be and i don't want to talk about why but just the way that it was handled and everything it was it, everything about it even to the scene where robert Kraft talks about like he's in the gym and he says like i'll pay for you to have an, an attorney we're gonna get you the best defense attorney in the world and he still lied to his face and i just love the way that he said schmuck for some reason it's just like and i felt like a schmuck um the only thing i did wish they went into more no, it was, i got i got snookered it was schmuck was the Spygate stuff. That after Spygate. Yes. The one thing I do wish we had heard a little bit more about, though, was the passing of Myra. I feel like it was very glanced yeah. over because she was a huge part of the organization for when Robert Robert owned it as well. It's just not a lot of people knew about it because it's all the off the field. And the reason why there's such a big celebrate volunteerism is a big thing with the Patriots. So that's just something I wanted to say. And then say, what got me with the whole the passing of Myra, the way they did that, you know, I thought it was so interesting the way that they went into detail about how Hernandez was with the team. I mean, obviously we hear the little bits and pieces, but to hear like what he did after Myra passed and all that stuff, like it was, you know, I'm sitting, your mind's just blown watching that episode because it really dove deep into what was going on. I mean, what it was Wes Welker who had the locker next to him going up to um, right, Lloyd. Lloyd. It was Lloyd going up and just being like, listen, you're going to hear this stuff the stuff like just ignore it it was it was crazy to hear from everyone's perspective that lived through this time in the patriots i also like the fact that we did get the whole uh the investigative journalist as well from the boston globe as well like it's just it was very well done but even the scene too like walker goes up to him like why does it go like you're between grok and hernandez like hernandez is gonna he's gonna do this he might he might touch himself a little bit here or there it's just like this weird thing too and even the whole stuff about I want to get traded to the West Coast, and then like I gotta say this, I love how much we're seeing Ernie Adams this entire documentary series. It's just it's it, it's like he's been the best. Like I feel like him and Jackie McMullen have been like the two real non like direct Patriot MVPs. Obviously Ernie Adams worked for the team, but like not out of all the main stars, just because like for them like you're getting these full perspectives on everything. And even going back to episode five, had my favorite line in there. Where Belichick's basically reaming out Matt Castle saying, like, yes. I don't want to call your mom and tell her, hey, your son's dead because he couldn't read a fucking corner blitz. It's just like that one. I, I was crying for like five minutes hearing that. Where it's just like, oh my. Oh, That's Bill that, for you. Yeah, that one was really funny where it was like, oh my. That, that quote was truly the best where he's like sitting in the meeting and it's yeah. like, yeah. Well, because it, it's such a, like, it's so different from when that first game, that first, like, Jets Patriots game when he went in he's like you've been hearing all this stuff you know that you haven't started a game in this long and this 
just go out there and play. You're going to be fine. You're our quarterback. We're not doing anything. That's it. And then to go to this where it's like, okay, um, yeah, I, I don't want to call your mom and tell her you're dead. It's It was just like, it showed Bill. It was so, it was the, everything you could imagine from like being taught by Bill Belichick. You're like, oh yeah, that's it. This guy will support you in the moment that you really needed it, but then he'll just totally obliterate you in a meeting in front of all your teammates. <laughs> yeah, that um, episode five, I liked um, a lot, significantly more than episode six. And I'll, I'll get to that a little later. Um, the, whole, the whole Matt Castle season, I was really looking forward to seeing like, all right, hopefully we get like the insight of like what it was like coming off of that, you know, that 16 and 16 and you know, 0 season uh, to Tom getting hurt in the first game and you having to step in and like how that season went. Um, they ended up, what, 11 and 5? It didn't make the playoffs. And so I was like really excited about getting some insight on that. And I was really hoping to get a little more insight on that 2009 team because I think that's one of the more interesting teams in Patriots history right in terms of like the dynasty run because that team was was bad <laughs> it was not a very good team and more more importantly it didn't feel like a organized team so i was a little disappointed we didn't get a little more of that um and obviously we transitioned into 2010 and i i, I was really looking forward to getting a little more out of 2010 to get yeah, you know, they went 14 and two. You just drafted Devin McCourty, Rob Gronkowski. You had Aaron Hernandez. So I thought we'd get more of that. And it kind of just skipped straight ahead to the to the Hernandez stuff. And it was like, all right, cool. Well, this is going to be an episode on him. Uh, and I just, I I really, really didn't like it. It was, um, so just for a little bit of background, I've avoided all of the Aaron Hernandez like documentaries, right? Anything that's come out, you know, I, obviously I know the, major points right but i never watched any of the documentaries um just because i uh any of them like so there's been one on on netflix i know there was one on oxygen um all these like random like oh we have we have something on hernandez as well and um i just i didn't didn't watch any of that because one i'm not super into true crime documentaries and as weird as it sounds like the whole aaron hernandez saga didn't end up being a true crime situation right um so I, i kind of avoided it uh I also don't love the way people talk about um, people with mental health issues, right? I huh. there's there's like a cavalierness that like that comes off with people who aren't as let's say sensitive to uh, people who are struggling, and I was concerned that that would happen here, and that's not really what happened, but I still had some issues, right? So I think the biggest thing for me is right. The episode opens and. Devin McCourty's in a confessional and, and Grok is in a confessional and Tom Tom spoke a little bit as well. And you're like, oh shit, like, all right, cool. We're going to get to hear, you know, Gronk who never talks about Aaron Hernandez, yeah. never. And so I was hoping he would get to speak. He did not. I'm like, okay, well, maybe Bill will have something to say. Bill had one line. It was sad situation. I have nothing to add. And that was We knew that, that was coming though. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I, so that one you kind of understood. I just didn't see it coming that it would be Brandon Lloyd <laughs> who was yeah. like, recounting the whole thing so i was like okay and then you have dion branch and i think the juxtaposition between those two guys discussing it was so jarring right you could see very clearly dion branch was like emotional about it right tears in his eyes he's just kind of like hard and he knew him knew him well and all that and it was just like tough for him and then you have brandon lloyd who was on the team for the one season in 2011 or, or 2012 um he was there for the one year and you know I thought he was a great player anyway, but uh, really good with the, with the sideline body catches. Um, but having him kind of be the guy to talk about it was really weird because I'm like, 
well, how much did you really know him, right? And you, you see from the very beginning that not much, right? Because you have him recounting the story of Wes coming up to him like, hey, you know, Hernandez is going to say some kind of weird things, kind of kind of strange dude, but go from there. And then Lloyd starts talking and he says, there's this negative undercurrent. And from there, the episode just got really fucking weird. Part of my French, I'm cursing a lot today, um, but it just, it got really so weird from there. Um, it was... It was like unsettling because he's talking and the entire time it feels like the implication of what he's saying is, hey, the Patriots were neglectful in addressing the whole Hernandez thing. Right. And he didn't obviously didn't say those words, but that's the implication of what he's saying. He said, oh, it's like um, a star player that, you know, they're going to kind of work around because they'll do anything to win kind of thing. And I was like, all right, that's a little weird. That's a little weird, but that's that's fine. Let's, you know, maybe it's just. A straight, it's a tough situation, so it's like maybe he's just uncomfortable telling it. And then to go from him telling that part to then, you know, Dion Branch then just talking about, like, yeah, that was my neighbor, and, like, I would, I, I, I tried to, like, reach out to him and kind of get him to move away from – it was just, like, a weird juxtaposition. Then you go back to Brandon Lloyd, and, the the again, the implication is, hey, the Patriots were neglectful on this. And then you jump to the Jonathan Kraft scene, and that one, that one really bugged me. I know that early on, real quick, um, after the first episode we talked and after the first two episodes we talked and I had mentioned that I didn't really see what people were talking about. People were like, oh yeah, you know, this is like a hit piss on Bill and Bill came out looking terrible, la 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 la. And I didn't see that. I'm like, I not really, like it's it's kind of fine. And I'm, I'm not as sensitive about people that I like. Cause if I like someone, I like someone, you're not really going to change me on that. So it's like, yeah, people are like, oh, you know, Bill came out looking terrible in this. And I'm like, he came out fine. Like he's a big boy. He can handle it. He's 73 years old. This was the first episode where I felt like, oh, this is fucking weird. Like this is, this is really weird because of all of the principal figures of the Patriots, only one guy comes out looking, looking kind of shady. Right. So you have Bob Holder, who is the investigative journalist uh, for, you know, the Boston Globe. Um, and, he, he says, and I wrote down the quote because I was like, this is, that's a weird thing to say. Um, he essentially gets in there and he says, you know, uh, Hernandez asked for the extension. He's basically like, well, why didn't Bill trade him? You know, because if he was traded, dot, 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 kind of leaves it open to interpretation. Like, hey, you know, he came up to Bill after, you know, after, the, you know, after 2012 and wanted to trade and Bill didn't let a trade. And, you know, these things kind of happen. I'm like, Okay, that's a little weird. Jonathan Kraft gets on there and he says, um, again, I sorry, guys, I wrote I wrote the quotes. Where, here, wrote the quotes on the phone because again, I just I wanted to kind of make like make it make sense. <laughs> um so Jonathan, so before Jonathan Kraft gets on, Bob Kraft gets in and he says, if you did this, you must have had a good reason why. We'll get you the best defense attorney we can, which you guys mentioned. And I thought that was interesting because that that is like the first thing he says that makes him like, if I'm, if I am related to, or in the know, or, or in it all connected with any of the Hernandez victims, I feel really weird about what Bob Kraft just said, because he just confirmed that his immediate reaction was, oh, well, you, if you killed these people, that's okay. You must have had a good reason. And I'm like, that's a fucking weird thing to say. Then Rob, uh, Jonathan Kraft gets on and he says, you know, I, I called and, you know, Bob, uh, my dad and Bill were both out of the country. So I called my dad and he was 100% with me. We were going to get him off the team. And Bill was, quote, Bill was more measured and didn't want to lose a good player. And I'm like, what? And then he goes on to say, and me and my dad really wanted to make an example. So we cut him and we got it right away. And then Bob Holler comes back and is like, oh, yeah, you know, like 
Patriot, no one ever really said why Bill, no one ever, Bill never said why he didn't trade Hernandez. So it's so like, why didn't they just trade him? And I'm like, that is a really weird thing to say because again, at this point, <clears throat> What Jonathan Krabs says is, hey, me and my dad, we wanted to get rid of him immediately. Bill's like, hey, we should keep him. Um, on top of the Bob Holder comments, on top of what uh, Brandon Lloyd had said, it, it all kind of points to like, hey, no one else wanted this guy around except Bill, which is in direct contrast to everything that Bob Kraft has said up until that point. Yeah. Because he said, hey, he was like a family member. I really wanted to do well for him. I wanted to do right by him and all that. And at the end of the episode, Bob Kraft gets a chance to apologize, which is which is obviously a good gesture. But he does the apology. Jonathan Kraft already said, hey, I wasn't in on this. I wanted him out, out from the beginning. And the only person who ends up looking like a shit heel is Bill. And I'm like, that is such a strange way to frame this episode. Because in truth, what happens is what happened was a huge tragedy, right? We have a yeah. at the time a 20, 23, 22 year old uh, year old. Uh, when, well, at the time of the murders, 2012. Oh, I know he died in 2017. He died at 2017. In 2017, he was 27 in 2017. Right, so. 20. It was 2013 when it happened. I think he was 20. I'll, I'll, I'll Google it. Yeah, I believe he died at 27 because he was still. I don't want to was... try, try and do math. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Griff, will get, Griff will get us the thing. But, you know, you have a, a young kid who, not really a young kid, a young man who goes out there and he murders three people and, you know, ends up, you know, mm-hmm ends up in this huge situation and it's a huge black mark on a team that was already going through the ringer. They had already just went through Spygate. The team was in decline. Everyone's like, yeah, Tom can't really do it anymore. All that. They just lost the Super Bowl two years prior and they're back in and it's like weird. And then, so this all happens and the person that left at the end that looks terrible is Bill and Bill doesn't speak out. And we know Bill never speaks out on these things. And so he doesn't get a chance to say his piece. And it's like, you had your chance, you kind of passed it up. That's on you. But that's weird. I think the mis- the mis- the misstep for me personally was not having Gronk speak. And I know he probably wouldn't have, but not giving him the opportunity to kind of expand on that or Devin McCourty or players who were just kind of around around Hernandez a little more or a little longer because he was drafted in 2010. This all went down the summer of 2013. So there were, there were guys who played with him for three years prior to that. I would have loved to hear a little more from them. What we got was a guy who was here for one year who said, hey, this shit was really fucking weird. Dion Branch, who, I mean, was obviously really broken up by it and a little biased because that's, you know, a guy he likes and his neighbor and all that. So there's that. And then you have the Crafts who were just like, hey, this thing happened. And we all were just like, I can't believe this happened. And we tried to get, you know, we tried to do right. And then the guys you brought in, you know, Michael Hawley and uh, and 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 Bob, uh, Bob Holler, it just it it was just such a weird vibe to again just it made it seem like the Patriots were negligent and then a step further it made it look like Bill specifically was negligent and I think that's a weird way to spin a tragic situation. Yeah, what I'm gonna say about that whole thing is that I definitely agree with what you were saying about Bill Belichick. I I think that the way listen we know after a situation like that happened like Bill wasn't gonna say anything more. It's who he's always been. He said you know what do you have to say sad situation which it definitely was but he wasn't going to add to it that is how he's always always been what then happened was this whole episode turned into almost like using him as the scapegoat when in turn it was there were a lot of different people who were listen i think robert Kraft did the right thing by apologizing at the end of the episode it was a horrible thing that happened they took a chance on this guy knowing his history knowing that he 
you know, he had some demons in his closet and all that, but that was the right thing. However, putting this whole, this whole thing on Bill wasn't right. We, Bob Holler had this one quote I pulled up that he said after, you know, there was the shooting at the club that he was like implicated in. He got away from law enforcement at that point, but his paranoia was increasing. That was a direct quote from Bob Holler. So when he asked for that trade, all we know is he asked for a trade to the West Coast because he said that his girlfriend and his daughter's safety was in jeopardy. What we what what was glanced over in two seconds is Bill offered him the support of the Patriots security team. But we also don't know exactly what went down in that conversation. We don't know everything. And I think it's unfair to pass judgment on Bill on something that none of us have any clue what we're talking about. He, we know he offered that's and at the end with releasing him, I agree that he should have been released right away. I will always stand by that, that fact. But once again, it just felt like the way that story was phrased was once again, Bill into the scapegoat of just, well, he wanted him to stay. It was all on him. Yep. And the Welker had a quote that was similar to that as well, where he said, you know, he, he, you know, he recounted the story of, of Hernandez at practice in the flip flops. And he was like dicking around on the field. And he was like, he looked at Bill like, Oh, why is he accepting this? He's like laughing and like, you know, blowing it off. And we are, we know that Wes Welker and Bill don't have a, a warm and fuzzy relationship at this at this juncture um but that's just a real again a really weird thing to say because again you're you're free you're framing it <laughs> and and that was the issue my issue throughout the entire episode is you're framing it even if these are the facts like hey this this is something that happened everyone can be like hey yeah that definitely happened the framing of it is where it gets weird because it's one thing to say hey he was dicking around on the field and you know no one got after him but it's another to say hey he was dicking around on the field and bill was kind of just like letting it happen and i don't know why he's letting it happen he's kind of really likes this guy and i'm like that that was the quote that i'm like wait what do you mean like because he says oh i don't know why he likes this guy so much and i'm like what 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 like why well, I, I don't understand like your issue, like, again, the implication there is, hey, he's only around because Bill really likes him. Even yeah. though, again, to this point, Robert Kraft is on 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 record in the documentary saying oh, how much he loved him and he was like another son to him. He kisses me on the cheek every time he sees me. And so for the comment to then be, oh, yeah, Bill really liked him. And that that implication to be, hey, he's only on the team because Bill really likes him. It just, again, it, it makes it really weird. And, it, and it's unfortunate because Bill is not the kind of guy who would, you know, come out and you know opine on that publicly so whatever gets said just gets said and it kind of kind of is what it is and it's just i don't know it, it, it just rubbed me the wrong way that was weird i th- i think my opinion is that the episode itself was really well done i i appreciate how they went over everything the interviews with brendan lloyd i think were well done Dion Br- my issue with it was that bill was used as the scapegoat for well if there's someone to blame look to this guy when that shouldn't have been the case. But otherwise, I, I didn't have as big an issue with the episode. I actually thought, given, I mean, they had to go over. This was a huge, huge storyline and a huge, huge moment during the Patriots dynasty. I mean, this was heartbreaking for anyone. I mean, this is a guy who fans were wearing his jersey. You know, he he had supporters all over to find out he had done such a heinous crime. I mean, it was horrible. I, I, I'll never forget this moment when, I, when you know, every TV station across the world, uh, across New England had Aaron Hernandez being let out 
of his house in handcuffs. So and the fact too that he had no emotion in that moment either is just kind yeah. of chilling. Yeah. So I did my investigative journalism. So when o Odin Lloyd was 27 at the time of the murder, and Aaron said Aaron when he hung himself in jail was 27. He was 23 at the time of the crime, though. So that's the clarification and all that matter that I just want to clear up as well. And I didn't mean to cut you off, Sophie, but no. even to the whole thing of just like him, like the fact that even with the reporters as well, following him everywhere, he's pumping gas at a golf. And it's just like, you know, hey, we're around here. And then, oh, he's going into Gillette Stadium. Even the line earlier about that he got Robert Kraft snookered up. I don't think Robert Kraft was doing that intentionally to be like, oh, there's no way he did this. I think it was just him just trying to help him out. But then the fact, too, that when everything came to light, and the one thing I don't even think I'm just kind of surprised they didn't touch on was the fact that Robert Kraft testified during his trial. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's a big can of worms. And for everything that people could be mad about, oh, they didn't go over this or go over this, them not highlighting something as – I don't even want to – of this magnitude – I don't want to say serious matter of the magnitude because look, this is a player that took the life of another human being. And I still say this, and I always will say this, that he is one of the biggest what ifs of the Patriots dynasty. If he didn't do any of that stuff, if he stayed the straight and narrow and had a long tenured NFL career, we don't know what kind of things Aaron Hernandez would accomplish with the New England Patriots or elsewhere, just because obviously you don't know where players are going to go. So I feel like the next I feel like with the rest of the series, I feel like seven and eight, there's going to be the deflate gets up, which people are probably going to get pissed off at again. But it's waiting for it because I know there's no way they're going to skip over Super Bowl 51. There's just, if no. that's the way, that's when my pissed off will come out. That's when mine will come out. And nine and 10, I feel like people are going to learn. You know, when people break up or if there's an argument with people where stuff that's being held with and comes out and it just people get pissed off about it. When we find out about what happened in that 2019 season, there's going to be a lot of Patriots fans who, and I've said this several times before, who have not read the book but read the book. Yes, they're not going to be they're not going to be happy with it. No. This I don't I think it's going to leave a lot of sour taste in people's mouths. But the more important thing with this is I've seen a lot of non-Patriots fans really enjoying this and just how it's been all been done. It's the main critiquing people of this honestly is New England Patriots fans. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's a it's the people who know who watch this who live through these moments that it's like you know for some of it it's hard to relive you know that these lot these Super Bowl losses I mean losing to the Giants two times in a row what Patriots fan wants to relive those moments and the Eagles loss is going to be brutal to go back and see um and that 2019 season and all that but it's it's what happened and it's it, it's so interesting it's you know, along with reliving, we're also hearing these accounts that we've never heard before, uh, you know, talking about this. What I'm very excited for is to hear more from Gronk, to hear more from Edelman, um, hear from Edelman. And also, I'm, I want to get to this Amendola quote that has been the forefront of this documentary. The we played, that, we played for Tom, we worked for Bill. We worked for Bill, but we played for Tom. And Everybody. that, I think, is really what's going to come in at some point and it's going to show where things started to go downhill because it's true i mean when tom left that team look what happened you know i i say it but i think like you go back to tampa bay with baker mayfield i think the way they handled tom leaving was great the way that tom was handled leaving new england was like oh well you're leaving okay let's just we can throw another veteran in the spot and there you go like no 
I, I just, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see how that quote ties in and what else, you know, what Rob Gronkowski has to say, what Julian Edelman has to say, what Robert Kraft has to say about that breakup. It's going to be messy, but it's stuff that needs, it's basically, like I said, it's stuff that needs to get said and we need to hear it. But like I said, it's either like the emotional release or it's like ripping off the bandaid. You know what? The bandaid's got to get ripped off at some point. Yeah. Um, before we finish here today, there's one thing I want to talk about because once again, like, like Sophie, two episodes in a row, we have Mike Florio stuff to talk about because there's new reports coming out. And instead of getting your thoughts on this, I want to ask you guys a question. If you have to think about an amount of games, and obviously we love football and the more the merrier, but for a season, 16, 17, or 18, which one do you think is the perfect amount? Um, I thought 16 was a good number. That was a perfectly, uh, perfectly mm -hmm. adequate number. Uh, 18, I like more than 17. I just, I don't like the, the odd number of games. It bugs yeah. the shit out of me. <laughs> like, oh, we're nine and eight. And I'm like, oh, the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, uh, you know what I mean? Too. Like, yeah, I hate that. My OCD can't handle it. Yeah, I don't love that. So I prefer if they were on an even number, but 16 was a, a perfectly valid number of games, if you ask me. I was okay with 16. I, I'm never going to complain about more football, though. So I don't the know. One thing, the one thing I will like about it, though, is if they do go to 18, because I always was saying this, and Florio said the same thing, too, that 17 is an eventual gateway to get to 18. And we know eventually it's going to happen. But if they go to an 18th game, the day after the Super Bowl will now be for you guys President's Day. And for me, up here, it's a holiday we call Family Day. So you no longer have to worry about – so this whole Super day after Super Bowl can be a national holiday thing. Because I know President's Day, not everything's not everything's closed. It's still – a lot of people still working and stuff like that. I think it's a state-by-state state thing. But for that, it can be exciting. But also, to, hey, instead of what the hell's 9 and 8? 9 and 9 can be a thing now where – Look, 9 and 9, it might be now instead of, hey, 9 and 8, you can still sneak into the playoffs. Now it's going to be that, hey, you need to get double-digit wins to get into the postseason. Mm -hmm. The one thing I will say, too, with this as well, if they expand the amount of games they're playing, I'm going to say this right now, expand the playoffs to eight teams. You know, get an even amount of teams. I know everyone, like, they're trying to do this whole, oh, you know, go for the one-by spot. All those later years in the Patriots dynasty, when it was, I don't remember 2018 especially, it was, hey, still try to get the number two spot because you still get that one. Like, obviously, with the number two spot, you can still get two home games. But for now, if you get that bye week back in there, you give another team a chance to play a playoff team. And there's also an interesting caveat with this. You would get two wildcard teams playing each other in a playoff game, which I think would create a lot of parity and excitement when it comes time to an already exciting time of year for football fans. Yeah, I get that. My only concern is that uh, at 18, uh, well, I'm not going to pretend to lie about player safety. I want more football. Uh, my concern, though, is um, at eight at eight teams a conference that's half the league into it. I think 32 is too small to have eight because I think yeah. half the team getting into the playoffs is a little strange, um, if only because they're aren't 16 teams that can actually compete for a championship any at any given year. So the idea of having you know, an extra team in sounds good, like on paper, but then I'm just like, yeah, but then, you know, you have an, an extra Pittsburgh Steelers in, in, you know, next year's playoff. And it's like, eh, they didn't belong this year. Certainly not going to belong next year. Now imagine another, you know, another one of them in there. I, I don't know. I, I think with 32 teams, 16, a 16 team playoff is too many. Um, but I think you're already at seven 
fuck it, go to go to eight. Um, but I thought six was a good number there as well. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just a, a purist. I'm just like, ah, no, this is the way it used to be, and I like that way. And obviously, when I made my player safety comment, I wasn't trying to be like, oh, hey, Val, vacate for player safety because obviously, like you said, we all want more football. But mm -hmm. at the same time, too, it's a factor that's got to come into play. And even yeah. still, the one factor with this coming season is. The NFL slowly discovering, hey, not only do can we play on Christmas Day, but we cook the NBA in ratings on Christmas <laughs> Day. We've basically taken their national holiday and said, yeah. hey, Thanksgiving and Christmas are ours. So with this year's too, it's even now that factor with player safety of, hey, are they going to play games on Wednesday? Because I still feel like if COVID's taught us anything, it's if the NFL can find a day to play, we we'll play seven days a week. Yeah. We saw them play on Tuesdays. We saw them play on thing and even this year hell we're getting thursday football we're getting friday football to open the year i hope we don't get saturday football because i have one of my best friends weddings that day and then sunday you know what i'm a little banged up on the couch watching the patriots play so that's already have my weekend planned out for week one and it's fabulous so with all that it's just these dynamics of it's exciting to see where they're going but at the same time too doing it just for the money and the benefits when you're the that's because that's the thing too where it's going to help the league long term but at the same time too for the player health and safety long term is also two preseason games enough to where hey those fringe guys they may only get one shot to prove it all you know Eminem have one shot one opportunity sees everything you ever wanted will you let it capture or will you just let it slip that hurt that hurt a little bit if you get a few in me i can wrap that those lyrics verbatim i'm not even lying but we'll <laughs> do that we'll do that one day when we're all in boston together okay Goodness. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I think um, the idea of, of expanding the playoffs, um, if you're going to do that, or if you're going to expand it to an 18-game season, you got to throw in a second bye week. The idea like, hey, there's yes. a team that's going to play, you know, thir 13 weeks straight after their early-ass bye. It's just like, this doesn't make sense. And then for them, say that team is a playoff team, they're now playing 14 weeks straight or 15 weeks straight or 16 weeks straight. And that just doesn't make any sense to me. So if they are going to eventually, you know, increase the number of, of games or increase the number of playoff teams, I would hope they throw in another buy. And uh, an additional point is I would, I think I'd be more for playoff expansion if it were, for competitive reasons as opposed to monetary ones, right? Yeah. They want another game because it, it's good for ratings, good for money, TV contracts, lucrative all that i get it um but if I'd, I'd feel better if it were like hey we're expanding the playoffs because there are all these competitive teams and someone's getting left out right now it, that's not the case and you're just going to end up with a team that doesn't belong and that is that's where i'm just like more football is great but more football between terrible teams is not right like i, I just don't love that we're going to see a three seed just whack an eight team on <laughs> an eight seed on saturday at 1 p.m because that team didn't belong there and yet here they are i just i don't know man can i give one more example because look at what college football is going through right now four teams it was always too little yep i always said hey eight teams do eight teams yep because Agreed. with a 12 team playoff in college football five versus 12 that's not going to be a close game Mm -hmm. It's it, it, it you're gonna get whacked. Gonna be, yeah, there's probably gonna be a game. There's probably gonna be a five and eleven and a, a five and twelve and a six and eleven where because people are gonna be like, oh, you know, it's like March Madness, which is coming up in a few weeks. There could be upsets. There could be this. There's not going to be any of that. <laughs> you might get it like once every few years, but you're not because here's the thing too with football, it's run more professionally. Meanwhile, like last year, how and this one comes to mind because one of my favorite play-by-play -play guys, Kevin Harlan, was on the call with 
Furman and Virginia, you know, where the guy caught the ball up and you see the footage of Kevin Harlan losing his stuff on the, losing his stuff courtside calling the game. You're not going to see that in college football unless, hey, you know what, if we see Chris Fowler do it, then by all means. But, no, you're going to see people, like you said, you're going to see like a 50 to 10 game and everyone's going to go, yeah, that team should end up a lot when you see Notre Dame, I don't know, like wax Arizona, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, just the idea of watching, like, take last year's playoffs, for example. Um, the eighth seed would have been Cincinnati. No one, no one wanted to see, you know, no one wanted to see Jake Browning play any more football than we already did. Like, we were all set. <laughs> like, we it would were have been Patrick Mahomes and Jake Browning, and it would have been Jesus Detroit versus Seattle. Yeah, that Detroit versus Seattle probably would have been decent, but my God, I mean, the Bengals didn't deserve, and behind the Bengals were the Jaguars. They didn't deserve either. So it's just like. I don't know, man. Like, too many damn teams. And behind the Seahawks would have been the Saints, which... My God. If we got more Derek Carr, I would have cried. <laughs> I would have cried real tears. I'm, I'm tired of seeing that man play football. <laughs> yeah, and Derek Carr. That's, what, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know if I told you this, Sophie, but my dad's actually a Saints fan. And so he like he, he taps me in all the news because like how I follow the Patriots beat reporters, he follows all the Saints beat reporters and stuff like that. There's a couple that like I follow too because like they've come on here to preview Saints games, but everyone was really off Derek Carr, and then he decided, hey, I'm going to restructure my contract, and it's like we like you again. So it's just like this, and this year too, their biggest thing was just you know how our thing this year is just like hey, coaches are different and all these like cam cords out, and I saw the Michael Jordan. I used to pray for times like this photo uh, resurfacing. Their thing with that was just Pete, Pete Carmichael being fired. Pete Carmichael was yeah. gone, and that's all, that's all they cared about. So I feel like that's a pass for them, which – and I'll say this right now, too. If Michael Thomas gets cut, I would take a chance on him in New England. I'm okay. going to say that right now. Because I feel like everyone, too, with him always looks at that one season and says, he's a one-season wonder. He did this. I'm like, no, he did this for a while. It's just you weren't paying attention. You waited until the rest of the country paid attention to then pay attention. I'm with you on that. I know everyone's like, oh, he's so washed. He's slow, slow. He only runs slants. I don't know. Fuck it. Bring him in. Because um, we've Patriots seen his... love their slants. Exactly. That's like 80% <laughs> of the pace, the, the playbook last year. Like, eh, it's, it's fine. Um, <laughs> it's not like, here's my thing. It's not like he's giving you worse play than Devontae Parker. Like, eh, miss me with that. Bring in Michael Thomas. Give him that minimum. Have Jaden Daniels throw to him. Have Vlad McConkie as your ex route guy. Um, another example I want to give to a short guy quickly. Uh, he's not exactly a receiver, but he's more of a punt returner, but Britton Covey as well from Utah, mm-hmm. someone who I saw in the Rose Bowl in 2022, and I was just like, I like you a lot. So <laughs> that's that. I just wanted to point those tw- uh, facts out. But as always, guys, squad goals here. It's always been a fun time getting to talk to the, the three the three of us. Hopefully you guys all enjoyed it. Stay tuned for more because the off-season train keeps rolling here on YWC Football Talk. This has been episode 284. For Sophie with two E's and two R's, and for the guy who likes to share memes and talk about the Patriots with Wi-Fi. And loves Derek Carr. And loves my favorite quarterback. And loves Derek Carr. (laughs) You've heard it here first. McGarvin, big Derek Carr guy. Have a good night. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. 
Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.